Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. guys and welcome to the stardom cast your now weekly audio source of all things world wondering stardom right here on the pod mania podcasting network i am your host rob goodwin and i am joined as ever by chris o'brien chris how the devil are you my son my, my brother walked in during a death match as in like a death yamasa yeah, match not like a death death match and I, I don't think he can ever look me in the eye again it's one of those, that, and I've said this before, it's one of those things where you can't... Some people will ask, why do you watch wrestling? And I will say, oh, it's the storytelling, it's the drama, it's, you know, it's an art form. And then you watch a Gokin death match, and you just sort of go, I can't... I really hope people don't walk in. It's got to a point now where if my girlfriend comes in and is watches over my shoulders I'm watching a go kick and death match I have to put hardcore porn on because it's less embarrassing <laughs> uh, like but just walks in it's like yeah Rob's just watching what he normally does <laughs> she just walks off shaking her head oh like, prick like it it speaks volumes when you'd rather have daddy being splurted for your speakers rather than death <laughs> It's just like, you know, Rock, Austin, you know, Hogan, Savage, all these things. And then you look at this small Japanese woman dressed as a clown. And it's like, there's no way that I can justify it to anyone. Oh, I was going through my 97 project recently. And Christ, what was it? Oh, it was a match with the Patriot. And I'm like... This is the most American wrestling thing I've ever seen, man. I don't think I can explain it away if someone walks in. More American than Sergeant Slaughter? Well, he's not exactly going to be in my 1997 watch project. <laughs> you might see a lot of him. I'm sure he's like some sort of um, authority figure on Raw. Yeah, but I'm not watching like promos. I'm watching like um, <laughs> I'm watching like just matches. Like I'm watching like pre-match promos, for, like WWF stuff. But otherwise. Yeah, I'm not watching. I'm not watching like Vince McMahon segments. Fuck that. 
Yeah, no, that's fair. No, that's fair. Although I found some, I found some odysseys in Matt is Antonio Noki's um, never-ending retirement tour. <laughs> so I'm just so I like uh, they're not on the cage match um, recommended because they're not good matches. But I actively want to watch each and every one one of the matches on the Antonio Noki retirement tour because they're <laughs> all going to be bad, and I and I'm completely here for that. Well, it was like when uh, Tenru's retirement, he took on Okada, and like. From a from an actual in ring standpoint, it is not a good match. Like Tenru at this point is pretty much immobile, and Okada has to work very, very fucking hard to put on a decent match. Mm-hmm. But the drama and everything, it is it is an entertaining watch. And I do I do recommend everyone go out and watch it. I think it's called Project Tenru, and it's him versus Okada. I think it's from back in two thousand and fifteen. But it's yeah, it's it's a watch. <laughs> That one Tokyo Sports um, match of the year, didn't it? I don't know. I I imagine that was more for the fact that this huge giant of the industry had retired as opposed to, you know, look how amazing. You know, he wasn't doing any Dragon Ranas, let's put it that way. That always seems to be a thing in Japanese wrestling where people will come out of retirement to face that one ace, like Chono came out of retirement. No, um, was it Gotch? I think Kyle Gotch came out of retirement to face um, Chono. I think I think I've read this somewhere. I heard it on wrestling. I think I saw it on wrestling with regrets. So. That's exactly where I hit it. <laughs> I rewatched that video. It was um, is it the one eight wrestlers who were bigger in Japan than they were over here? Um, no, I think it was eight wrestlers who. No, it was in the eight wrestlers who came back from gruesome injuries. Oh right, okay. And yeah, he was talking about Chono, so to yeah. like to get over how big a deal he was. Although. There's some Chono matches on my watch list, and I know that 97 Chono isn't like 91 Chono, where he's like this amazing technical master. He's basically an NWO dickhead. Yeah, it is not. It is a very, very different Chono, let's put it that way. (laughs) So apart from your 97 watch project, Chris, delight the listeners with what else you've been up to. Um, Playing a lot of Pokemon, because there's very few things that bring me joy in the world now. Pokemon, um, buying a lot, of, a lot of actually DVDs and Blu-rays. I've got, I own Indiana Jones now, so I'm going to get those watched probably this week. Which ones? All of them. Um, the original trilogy. I've been, I've, I've seen Crystal Skull like, and I didn't like it, but then people shout at me because um, that's the only one I've seen. I think they are rightly justified in shouting at you regarding that. But... I, mean, I don't think it's a good movie. And oh I God, don't it's think... not. And I don't at all think it's um, representative of Indiana Jones because when I was told about Indiana Jones, I didn't think aliens. <laughs> <laughs> nobody did. Nobody lo- nobody tunes in to an Indiana Jones film. You know, one that is rooted in the past and things like that and thinks, hmm, Crystal Aliens and Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Oh, what a um, song I watched that all three is. Spider- <laughs> I watched all three Spider-Man movies over the weekend, and first two hold up especially well, and because I haven't seen them in like five years, they've made it onto my list. Um, currently, two, and Spider-Man 1 is at 11th, and Spider-Man 2 is at 7th. They're both really, really strong superhero films. However, Spider-Man 3, below Jurassic Park. That's how much I don't like that film. 
I don't know what I've <laughs> the dance scene is up there as one of the most polarizing <laughs> scenes I've seen. Some people are saying it's a beautiful embodiment of how much of a dickhead Peter Parker had become. Others, me included, think, oh my fucking god, kill it, kill it with fire. Well, that's the thing. The dance scene is one of my favorite parts of the movie because I was actually like enjoying myself during it. I've, like it goes very quickly from like sh- laughably stupid to lifeless very quickly because Sam Raimi very clearly didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like he did a fucking amnesia storyline. Like this is a film made up of soap opera tropes. It, the third film. It's been a while since I've seen it because as soon as they cast um, Topher Grace as Venom, I was like, "No, I'm I'm done with this. I'm done with this entire fucking franchise." Um, you, the guy from that '70s show? No, I don't care how much muscle he's put on. Absolutely <laughs> fucking not. If you want to borrow it, I own um, I own it on Blu-ray. So. Do you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good, Damn mate. Um, I need to get rid of the Blu-ray. I don't want it. <laughs> I think the problem is as well, like they tried to shove too many villains in, and this is this is a a problem with quite a few superhero films. They try and throw too many villains into it, rather than focusing on one and developing one. Um, they tried to throw, you know, you got Sandman, you got uh, Venom, you'd got the whole um, Harry Osborn thing going on, and it was it was too much. It was the entire thing with Sandman should have had its own film, should have been more developed and should have been its own film. And I'm sorry, you see Venom for like, what, five minutes of the film, I think? 12 minutes of the film? Sam Raimi didn't want it in the film. Like, he Sony forced him to put it into the film. It was was just going to be Green Goblin and Sandman. Which is fine, because the storyline behind Sandman is quite... It's one that engages you. It's quite a nice storyline, but... Yeah, and... And you don't need to give Harry a ton of time because his motivations have been built up over the last two movies. So, like, those two coming together exactly. would almost make perfect sense. And then Aliens. <laughs> yeah, and then Aliens. <laughs> Fucking Aliens. Um, however, Chris, believe it or not, this is not a Spider-Man podcast. This is not a Sam Raimi podcast, which is... Good, to be perfectly honest, um, because... Yeah, because otherwise we'd have to talk about tree rape. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, what we're going to do today, then, we are going to talk about Nights 3 and Nights 4 of the Goddesses of Stardom Tag League, Night 3 uh, from Kanazawa on the 17th of October, and then Night 4, the Corican Hall show, which was main evented by Mayu versus Takumi Iroha. We are going to do our best to pronounce it Iroha in... If if all else fails, we'll just call Takumi, um, because I'm still calling her Hihora. Um, but in my, I promise you, I promise you, me and Chris will do our best to pronounce it correctly. We're trying to because apparently no one felt the need to point it out for for what <laughs> eight months I've been saying it Aroha. Yeah, it's not, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um. First things first, Chris, I just wanted to say that I have now watched the first Mayu versus Takumi match from February. Finally. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that until we get to the main event of Night 4. I think it's nice to talk about them both together because they bu- they both build on the storyline. So it works to do both in uh, in one, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. What we'll do then is we'll start with Night 3. Overall, Chris, um, 
I thought this was going to be a bit of a throwaway night, and to a certain extent it was. However, there were some decent matches on this Kanazawa card. Yeah, this was a fun card. Saturday matches are almost always fun cards, because for the most part, unless they're deciding, hey, let's be wacky and do a time limit draw again, um, it's all good, it's all fine. <laughs> all the matches are short and don't say they're welcome, like, especially this first match was exactly the length it needed to be, as was the triple threat, which I thought was exceptionally fun, and then all the tag league stuff delivered, and then... The last match was really good. DDM are really sending me around, especially Natsu Poi. I'm really enjoying Natsu Poi. We'll get to that. Completely agree with you. Um, so this was the 17th of October, as I've already said, from Kanazawa Distribution Hall in front of 258 people. We opened with a singles match with Yutami Hayashita defeating Saya Ida at 8 minutes and 5 seconds with a German suplex. Chris, thoughts on this match? A beautiful deadlift German suplex. Um, this is fun. Um, this is basically Sayurida's dynamic throughout the whole five star. Where it's like, shit, I should probably try to win this, but I do not have any moves that can finish people. I have a drop kick and a power slam. Please help me. Um, but no, it was fun, especially, uh, especially like the open. The, especially as an opener it's almost standard like it's basically like a young lion match in new japan except with two people who were in the five star and it was fun utami needed to be on the card and get over it served its purpose and i didn't hate it so i enjoyed the clear lack of respect from utami like not only calling yeah. herself big sister in the promo and refusing to shake a hand but like there was all these little smirks and smiles as say was unloading her offense on her it reminded me of when Azumi and Momo took on Saya and Hanan from, I think it was night two. And just that sort of, what are you doing? I'm better than you. And I thought that played in really, really well to like this simple storyline in the story. Um, I I also enjoyed the wide-eyed surprise we were getting from Utami in some of those kickouts on the closing stretch. Like, oh, fuck, <laughs> that was close. I did quite enjoy yeah. that. Um, and yeah. We really, really need to talk about that finish because beautifully crafted, Chris. Yeah, I just the time is getting so good. Like it, like for the, for like most of twenty nineteen, she's like, oh, she's really good for how long she's been wrestling. But over the course of this year, she's been getting to the point of now she's just one of the most captivating workers on the roster. And like Sardom's getting pretty stacked right now, so that's saying something. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Yes, yeah, Saya rolling through a German, only for Utami to roll through it again and then deadlift Saya over her head. And I know Saya is not the tallest, but even so, it's a beautiful visual. Yeah, and to be fair, being small, like if he could, central gravity could be harder to pick up. Like heavy small things are sometimes heavy, harder to pick up than heavier big things, so. <laughs> <laughs> Science with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry that I don't I'm know talented why that... in other ways. <laughs> oh God! Oh, um, 
I must admit, I did give this an extra star just for that finish. I gave it six. I thought it was a good, solid opening match. Yeah. You're right, you tell me does need to get over, especially with what we were talk what we're gonna talk about at the culmination of night four. Um Sayarida really impressed me here. Spoiler more than she impressed me on night four. Um <laughs> Really did not so, enjoy that match. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, I I've already forgotten thing. what her match was. Hang on. Uh, her, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, her versus Tam. Um, I really enjoyed as well when Saya tried to change tack and was just like, right, okay, the power moves aren't working, so I'm going to try and chop at Utami. And she did a couple of top chops, and then Utami fucking decapitated her with a clothesline. Um, <laughs> I just I quite, enjoy, quite enjoyed like the brutality of it. That's a Walter spot, right? <laughs> it was. It was. Absorb all the punishment and then just fucking beal her head off her shoulders. Lovely. <laughs> just, just the commentator shouting, Masawa! Masawa! <laughs> um, yeah, I gave it six, Chris. What about you? I gave it six. It's a cut above most stardom opening matches because normally it involves one of the children, but instead it involved one of the rookies, which is somehow a cut above. It's weird that some of the children are like, veteran workers next to Cyreda and Sayakamata. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, let's move to match two then, which was a three-way dance. Konami defeating Starlight Kid and Sayakamatani at 7 minutes and 21 seconds with a brutal-looking triangle arm lock. Yeah, first of all, I found, I found a... Ta- like, I've been skipping entr- entrances a lot because I've been falling behind with watching before we're recording. But, like... So, Tosai's entrance here was a bit weird. <laughs> Do you mean her dance? Yeah, like she did, and it's just what was called up here. I'm not sure if it's called up there, but we call what she did a slut drop up here. Yeah, that, I think I might be very English in Scottish term. <laughs> <laughs> we're very, we're a lot more casual with words up here than we are when we are in America. I'm so sorry, but yeah, that's just. So I just saw that. And I was like, oh, that's a slut drop. I'm like, can I mention this on the podcast? <laughs> because that's just what it's called here. To be fair, I will say she, she was a dancer or part of a girl group before wrestling. And she does... Oh, is she an idol? Yes. Yes, I think she was. Um, okay. And she does do that. She does this for her singles entrance. She doesn't do it for the tag with um, Utami, but she does do it for her singles. Um, yeah, because that's been the only entrance I've been seeing this tag. So that's probably why it's new to me. Um... Yeah, but other than that, this match was actually really... Fa- like, this match felt more developed than the 7 minutes, 21 second runtime would lead you to believe. It was just a really fun, fast-paced match. I like how um, Konami was out the ring for most of it, not because she was thrown out, just because she was like, eh, you see fine. Opportunistic Konami. It was fucking yeah. great. The rated K superstar. Um, <laughs> the- Saya and Starlight work really well together. The- both be, both well served as high speed performers, but also I'm starting to get a bit more laid. Especially Sire, who's like, again, her facials and everything else is really good. Um, she and she didn't have to sell this match, which helped it along. Um, Kanami just coming in when she needs to was absolutely perfect. And yeah, that um, Kimura at the end, Jesus Christ! It looked like she wanted to wrench Sai Kamatani's arm off. Yeah, it's like, like as if Saya had like tapped straight away, I would completely understand. It's one of those moves where it's like almost more legitimate if you tap right away, like when Brock used to do the Kamara and then stop for some reason. <laughs> he did, yeah. I enjoyed quite a lot of this match. I enjoyed the exchanges that Starlight and Saya had. 
Um, I had a proper belly laugh moment where Starlight Kid got thrown outside and we cut back to the action in ring and it was Konami inside. And then we cut back outside and Natsukatora is just sitting on Starlight Kid. <laughs> that really, really... And then Mayu has to come up to her and just like push her off and go, get off her. And it just... I don't know why. It proper tickled me for about five minutes. Just Tora sitting on Starlight as she's struggling to get out. Really, really made me laugh. Um... You're absolutely right. Opportunistic Konami is best Konami. That moment where she's outside the ring, Starlight goes for a Keychan bomb, so quick as you like. Konami just slides in, punts, stop, which seems to be Stardom's new thing. Whenever Starlight is trying to do a Keychan bomb, the other person needs to come in and just belt her across the arena, which is brilliant. Really, really entertains me. Um, but yeah, those exchanges between Starlight and Saeed, you know, alongside the amped up aggression of Konami, really, really made me enjoy this match. I thought it had a really, really good dynamic. And yeah, I gave it seven stars. A really, really enjoyable undercard match. And this is what I meant about night three. There was what would otherwise be, you know, relatively throwaway match, especially as considering they turned Konami at Yokohama Cinderella and it was the biggest angle going in. They haven't done a lot with Konami, and I mentioned this on the last podcast, that they seem to be focusing the Black Widows tag team more on B, and I suppose when you consider that B is going to be quite prevalent on New Japan programming as well as part of the Empire, that makes sense, I suppose, in a way. It just seems very strange that you would do this big turn for Konami and then not focus on it. This was a beautiful time to really focus on heel Konami, because this this is what this match was about. I mean, it could have been against two completely random people, but it just so happened that it worked really well with Sayakamitani and Starlight. Hello. What happened there? Yeah, you sort of glitched out for a second. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Carry on. Um. So... Yeah, I completely agree that this is probably the best showcase of Konami since the turn. Um, but Saddam seems to do this a lot. Like, if you remember Sak- when Saki turned earlier in the year, it was like the big thing at the end of ninth anniversary, and then nothing really happened until March. So, like, this isn't something new for Saddam. This do sort of let turns meander for a little bit, maybe to find their groove before they're put into a big program, which I guess makes sense. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, like, this. But this match was just like again. I also gave it a seven. We're so in sync today until the main event. Jesus Christ, the blood that will be black there. But yeah, this is really good. I can't say anything more about it than you did. Um, just yeah, good stuff. Check actively go check this one out, especially considering it's only seven minutes long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> match three then first tag no. league match <laughs> and. I can't wait to share my first note with you, Chris. Match three saw Colour Me Pop, the team of Goki and Death and Riho, <laughs> defeat Crazy Bloom, the team of Julia and Micah, at 8 minutes and 47 seconds with the roll-up. So, <laughs> first thing that I've put here is, oh, for God's sake. Um, And then I've also put, the reign of the clown has fucking begun. Um, because now, Chris, you know what I said last week about how, oh God, imagine if she got a pinfall win over Julia as well. And she ended up with legitimate claims to both the white and the red belt. It's come true, Chris. 
<laughs> it's happening! It's happening! Before we get to Brazil, what I first need to ask is what is I was about what is Daph's obsession with Julia? Because she keeps trying to get get Julia to fight her in like every tag match they're in. I must admit, and I I hate myself for this, Chris. I'm really enjoying the dynamic of Colour Me Pop, and I really shouldn't, but I am really enjoying it. What, where Rio is basically getting deaf all these wins? Yeah, pretty much. Doing all this work, and then <laughs> Go Kick and Death comes in with a roll-up. Um, well, we'll say, like, before we descend into, like, the death bollocks that we normally do, now that she looks like Mr. Tumble. Um, Micah using her power moves against Rio again, finally a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean, you uh, look who she's across the ring from. Yeah, no, exactly. So, like, finally a good idea. They keep using it against the smaller people, stop using it against the likes of Jungle and Itami. Um, <laughs> just... I, there was dosey dose and I, I didn't quite understand because I starter mode was weird with this upload right so I watched like the full show upload instead of match my match and it kept jumping to like 20 seconds prior in the match so I got the dosey dose twice and I was like is this happening again no it's just it, it's just been cut weird and I don't know why I had that with the Aphrodite Momo AZ match from Corican. yeah I had that as well I, I had that with but well, like with that Ambio Weditai Momo match from later in the night, so that's weird. Yeah, maybe it's like I guess if they're, since they're like rushing a lot of these to start world faster than we normally would, um, that think like editing quirks like that are slipping through the cracks. But I'm not quite sure how an editing quirk like that would even get in. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I mean, I'm not trying to tell anyone that I have any idea how any of this happens, but surely something like that. I don't understand how that would happen anyway. It's almost like someone recorded over the last mm-hmm. bit of the match with another bit of the match. Very, very strange. Very strange. Um, I really enjoyed Micah's look of absolute bewilderment at the during the opening exchanges as though to go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm still not used to um, Gohan Daff. Like, Gohan Daff. Goki can Daff. Um <laughs> But that's it. Like, I, I, she's so distracting, and it shouldn't be that distracting because I watch enough lucha to be used to like colorful things flying across the ring for no reason. But like, it's the fact that she just keeps stopping mid-match to go, to say death. And I know she did that before, but before she didn't look like the love child of Pennywise and the Joker. So I don't know what to tell you. This looks like something Jared Leto would think of and then write a really shit album about. To be fair. We do need to talk about how she's changed up her gear, um, Goki and Death, because she now has a yellow star painted in the middle of her forehead. So there's okay. that. Well, she, she isn't she she isn't stars. So brand loyalty, I guess, is more brand loyalty than like Cody showed to Bullet Club. But I don't. I, I can't I can't fairly talk about death matches anymore because I'm just so distracted throughout the whole thing and it's not helped by the fact that she's in more of this match than Rio is. Oh yeah, definitely. I think every Goki and Death well, colour me pot match, the focus is on Goki and Death. And I did see something on Twitter earlier where they're saying, well, our AEW saying she can perform, but she needs to be held back a little bit just to make sure she doesn't get injured. I don't know how true that is, 
but it would make sense as to why we're getting so well, much Goku and death. That would be a theory, but also I think we're just trying to get over the new character for death. Well, I, I yeah. know. I mean, to be honest, this is someone who's now got pinfall victories over Mayu and Julia. Just just let that sink in for a moment. Um, she has legit... I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm amazed that we've gone with Mayu versus Utami for the Sendai show in November. I mean, Goku and Death versus Mayu has main event written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> now, we need to do that when Mayu brings out a second book. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that was my favourite match of the five star. It really was. Unexpectedly entertaining. Um, I love Julia in this match. I love the fact that her real like sticky point is Goki and death that she cannot beat and she can't get past it and she doesn't know why and the fact that she lost and she got that angry that she lost that she started lashing out at the referee she was getting annoyed at micah for not coming for not stopping rio breaking up pinfalls she's proper going to pieces um i re- i did really enjoy that i mean ultimately this is a death yamasan match at its core so you know it's got a ceiling but I I am enjoying I'm enjoying it a lot more than when she was Death Yamasan. There seems to be a little bit more there. And I don't know whether it's just because she's a clown and she's therefore more happy. Therefore there's more stuff to do. Um <laughs> Happy there. Exa- well, I've also seen I don't know if you've noticed at Corican, um that was the first time that I'd seen her her video package. And it's just an empty fairground, which is absolutely harrowing. That is fucking terrifying. Well, that's doink bullshit. That's early doink bullshit. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yes, um, I imagine come year-end climax, we are going to be seeing double belt death. So yeah, just just put a note in this podcast, put a little pin in it, <laughs> and come back and we'll do our victory lap later. It, it would still be better than evil. Double <laughs> yes, champ evil. It would. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I gave this five stars, and I know that that is probably a little high, but I don't care. I do really enjoy the tag team chemistry between Colour Me Pop um, more than I should do, I think, and definitely more than Clown Scared Chris. So, yeah, I I gave it five, Chris. What about you? I I just said, where I normally put rating, I just put fuck it. I don't remember (laughs) writing it, writing that, but that's apparently what I've written. So, fuck it. That's my rating. Match four, then. Another tag league match with Momo AZ defeating Devil Duo in 9 minutes and 13 seconds with the Azumi Sushi. What the fuck is going on here, Chris? I really, really enjoyed this match. (laughs) Well, I I think what happened was the chain was stolen very, very early on. Is that the greatest plan? I mean, Momo did say that they got a plan in the pre-match promo. Is that the greatest plan in the history of stardom wrestling? Yeah, it's like he's doing like a duel back in the Old West, like the, the Lone Rangers going out, and then some wee dude just comes wrong, yoink his gun and runs off. But it was, it was proper like, Azumi and Momo had got hold of the chair that Saki started bringing to the ring, and the chain absolutely launched them to Saya and Utami, and then you just saw them sprinting backstage with them. <laughs> Honestly, I was really hoping that someone was playing the Benny Hill theme as they were doing it. As B Priestley and Konami are chasing them around the ring with it. 
what would have made this even more perfect is if in the finish of the match, as the three count is written, they run through the ring. <laughs> but, Chris, without the tired tropes that Oida Tai have started to fall back on, you know, the chain, the chair, the DQs, without those tired tropes, we're actually reminded that Saki and Tora are actually very, very good in ring and can actually put on very, very, very good matches, can still be huge heels, as they proved in this match, but can do it without throwing matches away and doing the same thing over and over and over again. And do you know what? I will die on this hill by saying this is the best Oida Tai tag match since Kagetsu and Hazuki retired. I, I'm inclined to agree, actually, because, like, this is the first match... Like, in a match with Azumi and Momo, I thought that Saki shined the most in this. Saki was Just great. Yeah, she was. She she was great, and like the little bits that um, that Tori did were also good. Like she's actually a fairly decent striker, and like especially when she doesn't have a chain, she can like be a good brutish heel, and then offset that with like the high speed Izumi and Momo, and and like this is like just a good pairing that I was initially dreading because I assumed the chain would be. There. <laughs> I just everything. I enjoyed about this match. I enjoyed Tora's bullish and hard-hitting exchanges with Momo. And I really enjoyed Saki's quick-fire, high-speed exchanges with Azumi. It's a, it's a stark reminder of what Oida Tai used to be in the ring. Badasses who don't take shit. And yeah, sure, they lost. But in this loss, they gained so much more respect from me than in every DQ or fucking balls-up finish that we got from before the five star all the way through to now. Yeah. Um, like, don't get me wrong. This isn't like an innately special match. It just stands out because they tried. <laughs> it does, but I re- the chemistry in the match, the near falls and just the entire in-ring psychology of all four women. I did really, I gave it eight and I know you didn't. I know you will have gone lower than that, but, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I think it's Oida Tai's best run, a best match of the run, especially, like I say, since Kagetsu and Hazuki retired. It's Tora's best match in God knows how long. I'm talking pre-Cinderella. And Saki, Saki's always been good in ring, but she hasn't had a chance to show that because she's been forced to have a chain or a fucking chair. So it's good to give her a chance to show, actually, I'm a fucking good wrestler. And you know what? I actually quite like heel Saki. But um, go on. Saki Saki stands out a lot more in a tag setting, but we're like, I think that Mayu match kind of proved because there wasn't a ton of bollocks in that one. That on her own, she's kind of not, she's kind of not there yet. Not saying she couldn't get that. How old is she? Hang on, she is twenty-seven. So like, she's still young. Like, she's definitely not at her peak yet. So she's has time. But like, I think tag settings are definitely best for Saki, especially if they're gonna keep. Um, continue to neutralize the chain because after this working perfectly I don't know why people just wouldn't do it from now on well I mean you look at kayfabe things man why did the refs just not just take the chain off and dance the Katora anyway <laughs> why, why wasn't she fired for several attempted murders <laughs> um, what did you give this then Chris um, I give it a 7 I did enjoy it I did really enjoy it um, it didn't quite have like that massive ending sequence that I like in a tag match, but at the end of the day, we were only given 10 minutes, so we couldn't really have that. But like this just ended up being like a really solid tag match, which 
makes the rest of what happens around the tie really annoying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Match five then, and the main event of night three saw the DDM team of Himika, Suri, and Natsupoi defeat the Stars team of Meiwe Watani, Mina Shirakawa, and Tam Nakano at 15 minutes and 49 seconds with the Scorpion Deathlock. This, Chris, was another match that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, this is really good, um, especially with Natsupoi. I was a bit, I, I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure about it when she came in, but from now on, I'm a Natsupoi fan. I'm going to ignore the fact that you are using every opportunity to quote the greatest showman at me, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to move on <laughs> from it because I'm a bigger man. I'm a bigger man. I'm sorry, but it's just never enough with me. Look, this is me. I'm the bigger man. Okay. <laughs> Um, I enjoyed the simple storyline of this match, and this is where I think Mina Shirakawa is going to shine, especially for the time what, being. Beat up, yeah. It, stupid as it sounds, Chris. Yes, the <laughs> the whole point of this match. I mean, look at the pre-match promo. She may you forgot she was in stars. She balls up the bit she was supposed to be saying. All of this on purpose. She balls up the bit she was supposed to be saying. She did the wrong S for stars. She's not a part of stars. And she says, I want to prove myself to prove that I am a part of stars. So how do, how do I do that? I go absolute balls to the wall and try and destroy DDM. And she gets her arse handed to her. She gets absolutely battered. And do you know what? I fucking love it because this is where she, she's a great baby face in peril we spoke about this in her last tag match she is not a hot tag she is the baby face in peril who just you get behind because over the last two especially this one the crowd got behind her because she was getting her ass handed to her especially by Himika who took a real real dislike to Shirakawa um, <laughs> which goes over into the next match uh, into the next night sorry but because she won't lay down, she wants to prove herself to the stars, to especially to Mayu, who again forgot that she was in stars, which I did giggle at. You start to get behind her. Yes, her offense still isn't there. Yes, the jury is still out of her on her. But the addition of this very, very simple storyline from the fact that she couldn't quite keep up with Mayu and Tam to start off with in the tag team offense, but then come the end of the match, they were both doing, they were, all three of them were doing stuff off the top rope. All three of them were doing the tandem drop kicks. She was slowly but surely becoming a member. So it was, it was a nice, simple storyline. Do I think she's great in ring? No, I don't. And that is going to play into my review of her match with Himika on night four. But. In this match, in this setting, surrounded by these people, I thought she did very, very well, and the addition of that storyline really, really helped her. It's sort of a Mikey Whipwreck thing, isn't it? Because that's how he got over in ECW. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, I, but to be honest, I think that is the best. This is the best Mina has looked since coming to Stardom, and that's weird considering she had a singles match with Tam. Um, just when that hot tag finally came, I was both relieved for her and relieved I was seeing someone else wrestle. But because to be fair, she's the only person she can really do like her because that weird guillotine things that she likes to use, I don't think she could hit that on Shiri and actually couldn't do it on him. Again. No. So um, that's so like for like her current offense, Natsupoi is sort of the only person she could do it to, and you're currently trying to get her over. So yeah, this is really the only way you could have booked this match. 
it was really cathartic by the end when we were hitting crossbodies all over the place and big drop kicks. I it's weird though because I'm not quite sure if they hit the drop kicks multiple times or if my, or if the feed replayed again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the match was only actually six minutes, Chris. It's just they showed it twice. <laughs> I literally do not know. Um, but no, the like this actual match was really good. Shuri is starting to like kick really hard and like that. Himika is starting to really come into a presence that she was sort of starting to develop in um, the five star and is definitely coming out of it now, especially leading up to her title match with Julia, which is really good. Um, that's the point just keeps impressing with every match. She has such good timing. Like she is as close to an Azumi in this high speed division as you can get. So that match is going to be fucking fantastic. Um, and, and, and May forgot that uh, Mina Shikawa was in stars. Um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm not even surprised with May because she seems to forget a lot of things. Yeah, you are sort of playing into Dopey Mayu, which seems to be the character they're going full tilt into. <laughs> She's a, she's essentially Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think that's always great, um, especially here. She worked a lot of uh, a lot of time with Mina, and she did a lot of back offense. Which Mina, it, for everything we say about Mina Shirakawa, she does sell very well. Um, and obviously, the back then played into the finish with Suri adopting the uh, Scorpion Deathlock. Um, which I thought was a nice touch. Himiki, you're absolutely right. She gets better and better and better with every match. Um, the entire story of this match worked, you know, away from the Mina Shirakawa and Stars aspect of it. Tam and Natsupoi was great, a really, really good exchange. I know that they've got history. Thank you, Valkesh, on our uh, Discord. They've got history as well, so that sort of played into it. Obviously, Himika and Mayu have got history from the five-star with Mayu having beaten Himika. It was all of and then, obviously, Mayu and Suri from their absolutely outstanding match from Yokohama Cinderella. So there was lots of threads in this match, but obviously the main one was Mina. I, I really enjoyed this match. Really enjoyed this match. All six women got put over, which... <laughs> is a prelude to the rant I'm going to have about the fucking time limit draw on night four. Um, <laughs> but overall, a really, really, really enjoyable match. Absolutely agree with you, Chris. Definitely Mina's best match since she's come to stardom. High seven, low eight for me. That's what I'm feeling as well. Um, but like all the, literally every racing here is kind of, up for review because I didn't get to see these matches properly because something went wrong on the upload. Like, and I was starting to think I was going crazy. No, I had to keep rewinding and I was like, what the fuck? I'm, sh I'm sure I've seen Saya Kamatani go to the top rope before. What is happening here? Um, but yeah, no, that did happen. So sorry about that, Chris. You, you, you missed nothing, but even so. <laughs> I thought night three, Chris, I'll be honest. Of the two nights, for obvious reasons, I was I was looking forward to night four more. Um, and actually, night three was really entertaining. Nothing blow away, but you got the six-woman tag main event, which was really, really good. Uh, you'd got Momo AZ versus Oida Tai, which, again, was deceptively good. And then you'd got the three-way, Konami, Starlight Kid, and Sayaka Matani, which, again, was absolutely great. So... Actually, night three, because it was a five-star, effectively throwaway night, was a really, really good show. 
Yeah, um, if you look at this in terms of a weekly TV show, this is, is what you'd sort of be looking for in sort of match quality. Um, basically, every match that had a story to tell advanced the story I had to tell. Um, no one looks bad coming out of it. Everyone who needs to look good looks good. Yeah, this is a solid B show. Well, not even B show, this is like a solid D show. <laughs> Let's move on then, Chris, because uh, we've got lots to talk about, to the Stardom Goddesses of Stardom Tag League 2020 night four um from the 18th of october the following night from corican hall in front of 586 people uh we start with a six woman tag with the team of gokikan death hina and rena defeating hanan riho and starlight kid at six minutes and 37 seconds with the o'connor roll color me pop explodes chris <laughs> Play like the pawn jazz music from <laughs> WrestleMania Five. Um, yeah, um, it, is it just me or is like death more scary when she's tagging with children because it's like she's abducted them? <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> like, so she's just pair of like two fourteen-year-old twins, and I'm just sort of like, I, I have like fucking. It gives me the fear. It gives me the absolute fear. M- moving on. Um, yeah, tell you what, though. Hannon, over the last couple shows, has <laughs> gotten a lot better. Like, she's not blown away by any means, but, like, she's extremely solid at everything she does. And she doesn't try to do more than, like, she actually can, which is something even some, like, f- several-year veterans haven't learned fucking Sasha Banks. But, yeah, this is just <laughs> exceptional. Um, this match was fine. Um, it's probably the best <laughs> death match so far, um, which just because like Starlight's there and Starlight sells death really well. Yeah, I agree. Um, apart from that ill-fated triple team again, where death fell off, um, and then even when they got it right, Riho seemed to be struggling with the weight of death. So yeah. Um, aside from that, it was we <laughs> all struggling with the weight of death like every day. Fucking hell, man! That went deep, didn't it? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> good God, mate. Um, yeah, it was. It was a good match. It was fine. It was what it was. Focuses very much on Gokuken and Riho. Very entertaining exchange with them early on. Um, yeah, it was it was there. It was nothing you need to go out of your way to watch. Um, I'd give it a high four stars because, again, you know, there's nothing blow away here. Um, even if you've got Starlight Kid in this match, you know, she can only do so much, and she wasn't in the match for a long period of time anyway. So, yeah, I'm I'm quite surprised that Gokin got the pin again because um, <laughs> got to keep Death strong. Um but yeah, other than that, it was fine, Chris. Yeah, I'd give it a five because I basically no strong feelings other than like <laughs> the intense fear I feel every time I see death. Um, match two then was a singles match: Tam Nakano defeating Saya Ida at ten minutes and twenty-one seconds with the German suplex. Chris, I want whatever cocaine Tam is on during these promos recently. <laughs> she's very hyper isn't she recently mate what the fuck is she talking about it, yeah it's like she's drank so much coffee that she can like hear colours and see sounds yeah, very much so and it, she got to a point where she'd done her intro and then sort of stared into the camera and just sort of went bollocks 
I need to say <laughs> words. And then she said some words and then gorilla thing and walked off. I was like, the fuck have I just watched? What the fuck have I just watched? Um, outside of this, these two really didn't mesh well at all, did they? No, we don't really... Well, Vestelle wouldn't really mesh with... Because if Tam's doing a high kick, she's just going to miss Saya's head. Well, it wasn't even that. They just... There was so... There were so many botches and timing errors. Like, the, take, there was a striking exchange, for example, where the striking... And obviously, there's a point where Saya thinks that the Matrix reversal is coming. So she deliberately aims high for a punch. And Tam just doesn't move. So it just looks like she's whiffed this punch completely. So then they get into the Matrix reversal. Um, then there was a sit-out spine buster, which she Sayers started to use. And I don't know whether Tam didn't know it was coming or whether Saya didn't tell her it was coming, but Tam didn't fucking jump when she got into Saya. So Saya effectively just sort of fell onto Tam. So because there was absolutely no elevation whatsoever in it coupled with whiffed punches and whiffed kicks and just it it wasn't a match that you would expect when you consider tam is in it and sayrida who has improved massively throughout this year is also in this match. It, it's not a good look for either woman i don't think chris no, but like everyone misses, and like to be honest, missing them second up on a Korokin show isn't like the end of the world for either person. Like, I think honestly, I think we were just having an off night. It happens. Oh, god, yeah, no, this isn't me. This like, isn't a damning um description of how both women yeah, are on the downturn like, of their is, career. God, <laughs> yeah, this isn't terminal, but terminal, like, this is still better than anything Okada did in the G1, <laughs> but um. Yeah, it, it is. It is just an off night. It was just. It was. It was quite an ugly match for me watching. Anyway, maybe it was different for other people, but those those botches really stood out to me. I, I I didn't really enjoy this match. I gave it three, which goes to show just how little I actually enjoyed this match. I gave it four. I thought it was just on the lower end of average for me. Match three then was the continuation of the Shirakawa storyline with Himika defeating Mina Shirakawa at seven minutes and 58 seconds with the JP Coaster. Um, Chris, opinion on this match then? I liked Himika's opening promo, first of all. She has no time for Mina whatsoever, Chris. Yeah, yeah she's just all like, no, I, I'm the rookie. <laughs> How long has she even been wrestling? Was one of the, how much Who, ring experience does she actually have? Was the statement. What, Himika or Mina? That was what Himika said about Mina in this opening promo. Yeah. Uh, how much? Well, she only has like two years. I don't know how long Himika has. I think she started in like 17, 2017. Hang on. I think we've both got two years. Yeah. Um, no, um, Himika has three. Oh, okay. Fair enough then. Fair enough. This was fine. I mean, it was a continuation of the six-woman tag from the night before. Um, just basically wanting to prove that she deserves to be in stars, taking on these huge challenges to prove that. She does well from underneath. Himika's eye rolls as though this is a complete waste of her time. Really entertained me throughout this match. I'm, st I'm still not sold 
on Mina's offense. I mean, when she's getting the snot beaten out of her, brilliant. Really, really, really enjoy that. But when she is on the offensive, I'm just... I'm not sold on it. I find it really bland. The spinning back fist that she does is the fucking shit. And then... Yeah, she she whiffs it, doesn't she? She whiffs it, and it's... I know that wrestling is wrestling. I'm fully aware of that. But it's quite obvious that the sound is her slapping her leg. It it just... It, yeah. it doesn't... It's no Aja Kong. Let's say, let's say that. No, it's no like Kenda Kabashi. It's no Eddie Kingston. Hell, it's it it's barely even a Pat McAfee. So. I think this suffered a little bit for me from no one believing Mina's going to win this match. Even even after the comeback, even after you know she'd taken all this heat at the hands of Himiger, even after, like I said, she got the absolute snot beaten out of her for the majority of this eight-minute match, nobody believed that she was going to get the victory here. And that's fine. That's that's where she is on the card. I have no issue with that. But some her offense is okay. It's just something like her her somersault sent on. I quite like that. That's decent. But just those little things like that diving. Is it supposed to be a crossbody? Because I'm sorry, there's no way when she does that dive and she sort of pushes someone in the chest. There's there's no way that takes Emika down. There's there's no way that takes a Suri down. And it, it just it looks and crap. It's, it's a bit um up and down whether or not. If I was taking a zoomie down. Exactly. It's just... There's little bits of it that just don't do it for me at all. There are bits that do, like, say, the somersault sent on, absolutely fine. The implant DDT, fine. There's just little bits that don't do it for me. And I might be... Look, I'm sure there's people out there who are diehard Shirakawa fans and are going to crucify me in the comments. That's absolutely fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But I just... I don't see it at the moment. I enjoy, I enjoy the storyline, the storyline that's going through all of her matches at the moment about how she wants to belong to stars, and I will stand by the fact that she is a great babyface being beaten the shit out of. I'm just not sold think, on her offense. I think that's the issue. She has half of it now. She's very good at being beaten down, but she can't come back. She need that. She needs to make that hot tag. Yeah, absolutely, and that's fine. But that's she's going to struggle in singles competition. When she's taking on someone like a Hannon, fine, okay, as proved by Yokohama Cinderella, fine. However, when you are in a singles competition with someone like Himika, who is considerably bigger, is considerably higher up the card, you've got to do something that makes the audience think, fucking hell, they're going to win. Otherwise, you can be the biggest babyface in the world. You're not going to get the reactions that you need. Yeah, um, to be fair, we are being... She has about as much experience as the rookies. I think it's just because she's sort of been... Not put high up the car, but she's not been opening shows. She's sort of been like in the middle a lot of the time. Yeah, and I know and like, she's going to get mostly down, Yeah, and that's mostly down to Tag League, and she will get... Like, we've seen how fast people get better in style. And, like, we had, like, issues with Himika, and then, like, they were resolved by the end of a five-star. We had... How many issues did you have with Starlight at the beginning of the year? And now we're looking forward to every Starlight match. So I'm going to give her time, especially since she's a rookie. 
that like it's her job to sort of critique what's wrong with the matches and like just her offense is what's wrong with the matches was sort of a big thing to patch up. I am not saying that Mina is bad. That is not my point. As I loved the six woman tag from night three. I hope I got that mm-hmm. across in my review. I am not saying that Mina is a bad wrestler. I'm just saying that now she's got the selling part down. She now needs to develop an offense that is going to make me believe that she's going to cause these upsets, that she is going to take down a Himika, okay? And we are going to believe that there is a chance that she could take down a Himika. It's just the next stage for me to believe in her as a babyface. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I completely get it. I completely understand. Okay. Right, Chris, I'm going to moan about this match, and I'm going to moan about it quickly (laughs) so that you can then get your review in it. How's that sound? Okay. Match four. The Oida Tai team of B Priestley, Konami, Natsukatora, and Saki Kashima versus Donna Del Mondo team of Suri, Julia, Micah, and Nazapoy ended in a 20 minute time limit draw. Now, why? Why <laughs> did this end in a draw? You just had Oida Tai lose on the previous show. If they are going to challenge for the Artist of Stardom Championship, pin fucking Natsupoi, pin Micah. It doesn't matter. Are you telling me that all eight women in this match needed to be kept strong? For fuck's sake, Saki is on that team. It's lazy booking. Plus, if this whole thing was to set up another Artist of Stardom Championship showdown, haven't we just seen this match? Haven't we just had Oedetai challenge Donna Del Mondo for those six-woman belts? And then on top of all this, we had a chair shot, which I'm not going to lie, I quite liked. Absolutely decimated a chair when the ref's back was turned. That's fine. But the ref turned around less than half a second after the chair was on the floor and then moved the chair. Why? Obviously that has been used. Siri's on the floor. A chair is in four pieces next to her. Hmm, this isn't fucking Cluedo. You can work out what has happened. So much of this match, the booking of it, not the eight woman in the ring. I actually really quite enjoyed this match, aside from the completely nonsensical time limit draw we had in it. I mean, I'm not being funny. Ultimately, Micah is a rookie. Are you telling me that she would... It's going to be detrimental to her development if she takes the pinfall here. Are you telling me that all eight women in this match need to be kept strong? It it made no sense. And all to set up another Artist of Sardom Championship match between these two teams, which again, we've already seen quite recently. Even if it's another iteration of a weird tie, I don't care. I don't want to see it again. You had a chance to really develop something with challenges for the white belt, for the future of Stardom Championship, all these things. Oh, it, it, it was so frustrating for all of their reasons, but that ref thing really, really irritated me. And I know from a kayfabe standpoint, he couldn't see what happened. But from a realistic standpoint, the chair's in four fucking pieces next to a KO'd Suri. What the fuck does he think has happened? He moved the chair. What is he doing? 
honestly, Chris, just... <sighs> I think it irritated me more because this was a genuinely really entertaining, good match. And aside from that chair shot, which I don't actually mind, are we to tie our heels? I don't mind the odd shot, you know, as long as it's not in every fucking match, it's not how every match ends. It was a good chair shot. I really enjoyed the chemistry between Konami and Suri. I'm still a little bit concerned over Suri's comments in the pre-match promo that she was getting love calls from Konami. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but okay. Um, but they clearly have this begrudging respect for each other. They were kicking the shit out of each other. That closing stretch with Suri and B Priestley was fantastic. Suri was the MVP of this match. She basically did the entire match. Just... I don't understand so much of this match. And it is so, so, so fucking frustrating. This is totally not the first time I'm saying this. Um, to be fair, I'm repeating myself a lot nowadays because, because we're continuously, continuously time limit draws. And I am sick of it. Like, to the point where any good points of this match just melted away from me as soon as the time limit draw happened. I cannot physically remember the last time we had a um, podcast where we didn't have a time limit draw. And I can't remember the last time, like the last time time limit draw felt needed was maybe the five star. So I don't know what the fuck they're playing at. I don't know why they think this is going to work. Like these fuck finishes, are, like a product of the eighties that went away ages ago and shouldn't be here now. It's not going to hurt anyone to take a pin in this match. That's my issue. That's my, The whole point of an eight-woman tag is that you've got someone who can eat a pin. And as, as I've just said, you know, is it going to hurt Micah's development to take a pinfall here? No, of course it's not. She's still a rookie. She's the future of Stardom Champion. Have her take the pin. I understand that you can't have Natsupoi take the pin because you're trying to build her at the moment. Just, I don't, it's just... I agree with you to a certain extent that it does take away from the positives of the match, but there were so many positives in this match. That moment that Micah counters a spear from Torrit into a stall, a deadlift stalling vertical suplex. Absolutely fucking beautiful. The entire exchange between Suri and Konami, and then Suri and B Priestley. B, by the way, who is getting better every time I see her in ring. Yeah, but uh, like, oh, there, was so, there was a lot good to talk. Honestly, if this had a finish, this was going on to be a fairly highly scored match. And I know the booking isn't really, like, the women's fault, but, like, the booking is still such an issue. And it continues to make no sense. And I don't want to rant about it every week, but it's happening every week. Like, it's... like Literally, can you remember the last um, podcast where we didn't have a draw on it? And I understand we'd just been through the five-star, but it was, like, two or three before the five-star as well. The last time I thought it made sense, obviously you, you're absolutely right with the five star. We had the um, Queen's Quest tag match where we yeah. had Momo and Azumi versus Utami and Saya from Stardom is again. That made sense. Yeah, especially given, especially since one of them were actually getting a finish in Tag League. And also you were trying to establish Utami and Saya, Saya but, yeah. you also, but you also genuinely could not have. Momo versus Azumi, but the story sort of demanded they prove themselves to Momo and Azumi, and the time limit draw managed that, and it was great. And then we, here we are now, where like Jungle versus Himika was it was mad by a pointless draw, 
This was marred by a pointless draw. The DDM versus Queen's Quest match from Nagoya was marred by a pointless draw. And like the weirdly placed, you should not be having half an hour draws in the middle of a card. The one in Nagoya just, it sapped the crowd in, in preparation for what was an absolutely great match between Mayu and Jungle. Like a match that quite a few fans have forgotten about. Yeah. It was such a good match, but why it followed... Because am I right in thinking that was a 30-minute time limit draw? Or was that 20? That was yeah, 20. It was, thir- it was 30, wasn't it? It was 30, yeah. Which just it made no sense. I don't understand. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's It seems like really lazy booking. I mean, you look at companies like New Japan, okay, who... For, I know that you're, you've fallen out of love with them. That's absolutely fine. But they don't over-rely on a draw to the point where if a draw is coming, it's used as a real, oh, my God, these never happen. These two must be really, really similar. But you're absolutely right. We've seen so many in the space of, what, six podcasts, seven podcasts? <laughs> You can make fairly regular draws. Okay, so I'm thinking of, like, Noah, who have had a fair few draws this year, but they they were more spread out with two exceptions, and that being the N1, because that's their tournament, uh, which, like, is the one place where I'll happily take frequent draws. And then um, in the double title match, because they got both men supremely over and helped establish their reign. So beyond... And then beyond that, there was one more. So, like, which did, to be fair, feel a bit pointless, but was really well done. And then, like, in all Japan, I think we've only had one, and that worked really well as well. So, like, if we're just comparing it to, like, the other big Japanese companies, they're over-relying on it just compared to them, let alone compared to, like, what we were with New Japan before, where we did expect everything to have a finish. And, like, I agree not everything should have a finish, but, like, a lot of times of a ring, it can be a dirty finish. Long story short, this was a good match with some great matchups going forward that ended in the most bland and boring way to set up a match we've already seen. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Which is a real, real though. I was going to say that's a real shame, but B Priestley running off from Suri at the end is fucking hilarious. So, yeah. yeah. And Julia's post-match promo was also very, very entertaining. Just going, does B actually know any other Japanese apart from you suck? Which, again, yeah, no. very entertaining. <laughs> Last thing, B is a proper fucking weeb because she'll introduce like random um, Japanese phrases into an English sentence. It is quite funny. Like, I remember um, quite well, it was during her reign, she was fighting, I think it must have been once in her Hannah match, she just shouted, top Ichiban fucking gaijin. <laughs> um, I know that it's difficult to find the positives in it, but I, I did try, and I've given it a seven, because all the women in ring, there were some real positives to take. As I've already mentioned, Konami Suri, B Suri, that fucking spear into a vertical suplex from uh, Micah, beautiful. So I've given it seven. I just, I don't understand what we're hoping to achieve because with every draw, it's diluting it and diluting it and diluting it to the point where when a draw does happen, we don't care. We're irritated by it. It's not seen to progress a storyline. I've, I... 
I thought about my rating for this for a while because again there are positives, but I came away just feeling numb. I came away feeling nothing. So like that's a five. That's a, that's like a, the definition of a five for me. I just feel nothing about this match, despite like the good and bad aspects. I don't know whether it's because it's a Corican show and historically Corican shows have always been Stardom's biggest shows of the year and they just need to feel like they need to put on these big, long, epic matches. But let's not forget, there are two other matches, including a red belt defence, to come after this 20-minute draw. So... Yeah, but but also there's... um, You you could have just done one more tag league match, and then that would have filled the epic quota. And also, don't forget, like how many of the match of year candidates are like... Around the ten minute mark, like May Tam, um, May, May Julia, what's the other one? I'm thinking, um, Tam Kagetsu. There's, there's, there's plenty of match of year candidates in Stardom that go a short amount of time. An epic isn't defined by length. It's not how that works. I agree wholeheartedly with you because there is one tag league match on this show, and was there two on the previous show? So you can't tell me that there isn't enough time to fit another tag league match. Cut this in half. This needs to be, what, 11 minutes max? You can still have the angle set up by having, I don't know, have Konami tap out Micah. Have Konami pin Micah. What does it matter? Anyway. Anyway, let's move on, because otherwise we're going to spend this entire podcast ranting about this, and there's some good things to talk about later on. Match five, our one and only tag league match on the actual show was Momo AZ defeating Aphrodite at 15 minutes and 31 seconds with the Peach Sunrise. Highly anticipated rematch from Stardom is again, Chris. What did you think? Did it live up to the hype? I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it about as much as the other one because the other one caught me by like, but there's a difference there because the other one sort of caught me by surprise of how good it was. Whereas this one, I was going in fully expecting something good. So it, t- different expectations to be lived up to. But I did really enjoy this. I did enjoy that it was basically the other one, but with a finish and with Azumi and Momo sort of somewhere in the back of our heads having to go, well, we need to prove that we are like the dominant members of Stars here. Um, just yeah, this is just all really solid stuff. But the problem is, this, with the exception of the finish, is almost indistinguishable from their um, from their Stardom is again match. They're very similar spots. Azumi flew around. Itami was power. Just almost indistinguishable, but still really good. <laughs> See, I I disagree with with it was indistinguishable. It was it was very similar, and I think obviously you're going to have a very similar match. It's the four same competitors, but. I think you had got that story running through. If you remember, when we talked about it at Stardom is again, the whole thing was Momo basically telling Saya that she had to step up. Step up to this level. Okay, you're in my faction, you step up to my level. And, you know, hitting her with strikes a little bit harder than perhaps she needed to to show that sort of tough love. And I thought here, Saya put up that much of a fight that Momo had to break out the Peach Sunrise to put her away. A move that we talked last week about how she doesn't use all that often. And... You know, I always enjoy the um, interbrand tags for, you know, the whole we can reverse 
all of your moves because we've seen you use them so many times and that sort of thing. So they have to break out completely different things or things that they don't use that often. You saw Saikamatani breaking out a Kiwi Crusher. You had Magic Killer from Aphrodite, which I know I think they have used before, but not all that often. You've got the Double Team Foot Stomp from Momo AZ. You even had a 3D from Momo AZ, which again, I know they've used, but not altogether too often and definitely not in the stardom as again match um even though azumi got absolutely none of it but we'll we'll go past that um i think it's interesting that the tag champs are still without a winning tag league and sit well the second in their block but that's only because everyone else is on fucking zero points um <laughs> even so you know i did enjoy the match i'm not sure i enjoyed it as much as st- the match at stardom is again which, again, like you, took me completely by surprise. Um, but I thought this had, a sim- a, a, again, a very simple story, something that ran through. It was very much Sire and Momo. Um, and ultimately, Momo had to bring out the big guns to just make sure that everyone remembered, yeah, I am the big bitch in this Queen's Quest lineup. And, you know, even though you set it up, I can still beat you. I thought that was really good. Um, and then, of course, we had that fucking air raid crash on the apron. Fucking hell. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. I, for- I almost forgot about that because instead of writing down what happened in my notes, I just put fuck. We we were centimetres away from disaster there. Yeah, that was proper Kota Bushi and Ni- Naito at Dominion bullshit. Yeah, it was, but- it was scary. Yeah, but at the same time, ouch. Jesus Christ. Like, there's, there's part of me that's like, oh my God, but part of me is going, yes, more, more. Um, but yeah, this is honestly, this is better within the context of right now, like where a lot of stardom matches just because of the amount of fucking draws are starting to get a tad blowed sometimes. Um, this was the perfect length that it, you know, had to be. So that just that put this match over the top. I'm giving this one an eight. I did really enjoy this one. I think I get well, I gave it a high seven, so I'm, will, I'm willing to concede eight. I, I don't think. Like I said before, it's as good as the Stardom is again match. But again, you know, that's on the ballot for a match of the year. I don't think this quite reaches that. I thought Aphrodite especially, there was instances where they seem to be getting in each other's way, which we didn't have in the Stardom is again match. It might be a little a little nitpick. This was still a really, really good match and one of the better matches of the Tag League. But for me, that Stardom is again match was better than this one. Mm. So, let's move on to the match that everybody, absolutely everybody who watches Stardom and listens to this podcast wants us to talk about. It is match six, the main event, World of Stardom Championship with Mayu Iwatani defeating Takumi Aroha with the reverse roll-up at 22 minutes and 22 seconds. Sorry, (laughs) I'd written 22 and then 23333. I don't know what I've done there. So 22 minutes and 22 seconds. So just before we start with this match, Chris, um, I'm just going to give a little bit of preamble and then we can talk about the first match because I know um, you've been wanting me to watch that first match for fucking ages. So I don't think I've ever seen a Mayu match where she hasn't given a pre-match promo. Let's from this from this night at Corican, let's make that abundantly clear. I have never seen a Mayu match where she hasn't given a promo. 
Last time out in this first match in February, she was that nonchalant, maybe even naive at the last minute change, because don't forget it was supposed to be Sari originally, not Iroha, that she didn't even realise it wasn't for the title to begin with. That's how naively she went into that first match. She shot out of the blocks with complete reckless abandon and was systematically pulled apart by Iroha. Savage kicks, brutalising of the shoulder alongside a high-angled German suplex that made my toes curl, followed by some of the <laughs> heaviest fucking power bombs I've ever seen. Aroha absolutely flattened Mayu in that first match. And in this match, the second match for the championship, something needed to change. And you could tell Mayu's um, sort of outlook on it had changed completely by the fact, just that simple thing, she didn't do a pre-match promo. None of the nonsense, none of the, you know, as we were saying before, dopey Mayu. You know, she wasn't forgetting a mask or she wasn't forgetting her tail or whatever the excuse was she used for a loss to Julia in the five-star. This was something completely different, and you could see it straight away. As I've just said, Chris, that first match was glorious, absolutely brilliant, just hard-hitting. I loved how, as I said before, Hiroa just completely took apart Mayu. Just every time Mayu tried to mount any sort of comeback, she wasn't strong enough. She wasn't developed enough to combat these kicks that just sounded like gunshots. Those power bombs where genuinely you were scared for Mayu's neck, you were scared for Mayu's back. Just absolute savagery. And then the running three that she finished the match with, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, it was it was an explosion. An absolute explosion. And had there been more stakes in that match and it hadn't just been a, you know, a last-minute change, then that would have been one of my all-time favourite matches. But to think that they put that match together and it was a last-minute change with Sari pulling out, what a fucking match. What a great match. And puts a lot of pressure on them to follow it up on this second night, Chris. In terms of storytelling in that match, what that first match reminded me of, and I've been thinking about this, I think about this match a bit. I've, re- I've rewatched it more than any other match this year, and that's mostly because I don't, I, it's ha- sometimes hard to find the fucking 50 minutes it takes to wa- rewatch some matches nowadays. But it reminded me of Kabashi versus Joe at Ring of Honor. Because um, they were working, they packed a lot of story in there with very little build up. Like with Kabashi versus Joe, they managed to do things like Joe doing Kawada moves to piss off Kabashi and things like that. Whereas you jump to here, Mayu's trying to do like the running free to um, Iroha just, just basically just to be a dick because that's what Mayu's like. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's it's an arrogance so, that she had in that first match. And then that quickly got... It, it was it, it was just sort of like when Killmonger worked, walks into Wakanda, it's like, is this your champion? <laughs> that Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it set up this match now that we're going to talk about now. Um, you know, a wry smile is all we get as Mayu goes out towards the ring. she You can immediately tell that she has changed how she's going about 
this match. And you know what? She's been wearing the red gear for pretty much every championship defense since she won the belt. That's fine. But for me, she chose that gear. This was the gear I lost when Iroa absolutely de- fucking destroyed me. So I'm going to wear it again. Some redemption here. Even if that wasn't the case, and it was just a case of, ah, I'll wear my red gear today. That's how I saw it. I was the champ then, I'm the champ now. I was wearing red gear then, I'm wearing red gear now. I need some redemption because last time out, I was embarrassed by Hiroa completely fucking taking me apart. Yeah, um, possibly. I'm trying to think if like maybe like something like a Stanley Kubrick where she'll put she'll have meaning in everything, or she'll just be like a um, Sam Raimi who just throws shit in the background for no reason. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Like just putting on the gear and going, ah, some mark is going to mark out over this. <laughs> I am that mark. Um... <laughs> She's got that bottled energy, and it spills over. She goes in naively again, and again, she's on the back foot again. But instead of targeting the shoulder, because in the first match she had all the shoulder tape on, Iroa targets her leg, absolutely buttering it, with Mayu selling it as only Mayu can. However, throughout this match... Now, if you remember during the last match, Mayu really struggled to get... Uh, Takumi up into like a uh, like a razor's edge could not get her up and that was ultimately what led to the finish here she tries it again can't quite get her up but towards the end she does get her up building on that character development that storytelling I wasn't strong enough last time I am strong enough this time I've put in the work I am a better wrestler I'm a stronger wrestler than I was last time I'm a different wrestler than the one you took apart in February um she is still goaded into things by Iroha, you know, her naivety about being that sit-down slap exchange. Why the fuck would you take on a sit-down slap exchange with Iroha, who has completely taken you apart with kicks and strikes before? But that's her stubbornness. No, you want this? I am going to fucking take you on with this. She kicks out of a running three, which she didn't do before. Um, she, We see a little glimpse of Murder Mayu, which... Holy shit, that's so cool. I want to see more Murder May, where she completely no-sells the strikes that floored her in the previous match. She no-sells and gets fucking aggressive. I love that. I want to see more of that. And it was that whole, no, we are not going the same way as the previous match. I am going to hulk up, and I am going to take you on. And I love that. Just a little story beat. You know, a slap that took her down, a forearm that put her on her arse. Now, she's absorbing that. She's built up. She's stronger. And again, it all sort of builds into this character development. Yeah. um, It definitely does. Sorry, from the last one. In terms of... It was just bloody good, wasn't it? Um, I do still prefer the first one. I think that's because, much like the tag match from before, that last one caught me completely by surprise. I had, I had no clue who, who Rojo was. I looked to think, like, saw the sides of her, and, like, there's still a little part of my smarky brain where it's like, well, big people can't work. And then, like, she started working. It's like, oh, I see. Um, also, I think I, I think I prefer Mayu coming from behind. So, like... But the shock of Mayu not really having a comeback in the last one was sort of great. It's sort of like when Vader destroyed Antonio Inoki, except no pillows were thrown. Um, but in this one, I it's still good. I've never seen someone duck a spinning heel kick before. 
No, there was <laughs> there was quite a few reversals. I was like, fucking hell, where's that come from? Yeah, um, I do like the foolish pride displayed by May. I like that in wrestling where someone's like Abushi does it a lot. Where like I'm gonna play your game even if it is to the detriment of you know m- myself. Um, just like some of the kicks from a, like you said, they're like gunshots and they're just as good here. I like how. Um, how clearly when Mayu takes advantages of little holes, how, like you can see that's what she's doing as soon as she moves. Like it's a very Tanahashi thing where you can see what she's thinking as the match is going on. And like that's very hard to convey. Like some people can't do that. Some people sort of just have the same expression throughout the whole match. Um, just it's weird because it's like the perfect dynamic, these two. Like it's the, uh, the, just for like clarification, much like the jungle match, I watched this one out of order. I watched this as soon as it was, I saw it on Stardom World because I could not. I like, I generally thought going into this, Aroa had a chance because they're doing a lot with Marvelous right now. But uh, just, yeah, I, I love it. And I'm rambling because both these matches are great. This is probably my sit, like, if it was one more match in like this year's series, I'd call it my series of the year, but it's not. But there isn't. But then again, I also think the same as Suzuki versus Nagata. I'm rambling now. I really like this. <laughs> I like this more than the first one. Um, the I first don't. one was great. <laughs> first one was absolutely great. This one had everything that I loved about the first match with the extra of character development, story development, redemption and the belt on the line. You know, all of those things together with a match that they could have just come out and done the entire, the same match as they did back in February, and no one would have bided an eyelid. Everyone would have just been like, fucking hell, it was a good match then, it'll be a good match now. However, there were so many subtle things, so many callbacks to that first match, so many little subtle changes to things from that first match that I just I couldn't not love it. Just that realisation about three-quarters of the way through the match that Mayu could not outstrike, could not outpower Takumi Aroha. She just couldn't. So she had to rely on opportunistic guile, effectively. Um, I mean, look at the finish. The finish looked sloppy as fuck. It really did. And that could be put down to the fact that Aroha dropped Mayu so dangerously high on her neck that I thought, fuck, she's actually injured. It could be to the. It could be because they had to stop the match because Takumi had facial fractures from some of the strikes but in the moment where you don't know these things in the moment it played into the match so well because Mayu had to have an opportunistic way of beating Iroha because she couldn't do it through strikes she couldn't do it through power moves you aren't going to be able to slam Iroha repeatedly to a point where you're going to be able to keep her down so you're not going to be able to outstrike her as proved by the slap exchange the stubbornness even with the stubbornness of Mayu, you realise you can't do that. So the sloppiness, the sloppy little roll-up actually worked for me. It actually worked into the story, this exhausted sort of last-ditch attempt at defending her title, the fact that she wasn't going to let it go. I, I loved it. I really did. Obviously, I hoped Kumiro was all right. Fucking hell. But, and Jesus Christ, Mayu's neck. Ugh! Jesus, there are so many parallels. <laughs> You're absolutely right. There are so many parallels between Mayu and Ibushi. It's unreal. Um, but yeah, I can't not like this match more. As I said, and as I'll end now, it was everything I loved about the first match. 
but developed with a storyline, with character development in it. I can't not love it. I mean, I assume you gave it 10. Um, That's what I'm floating around. I always take time to think of my on my 10 ones because it's like do i actually feel like that i need to go back and rewatch it because i am feeling um at the very least a high nine but like probably going to end up landing on a 10 but like in terms of explaining why i like the other match more I, and why i think you it didn't have the same impact on you as it did on me is i watched it going in blind like i knew nothing hmm. whereas like you've had eight months of me <laughs> talking about how it's the best match of the year building so- it up yeah, and then also like because of that, you sort of like knew the story beats. You knew what was going to happen. You're not getting shocked by like this champ, like the ace of a company being completely destroyed by an outsider. Although, tell you what, though, that post match promo was hilarious. Where Mayu can't even get up; she's just lying down, going, "Next time we're in the same ring, can we please be on the same team? <laughs> can we tag?" <laughs> yeah. Um, I will just say final thing. Um, the callbacks to previous match there was one note i forgot to mention um the superplex which eroha pretty much just threw mayu across the fucking ring um but here mm-hmm. she took the superplex and then transitioned it seamlessly into this guillotine choke and it was just you know another callback to the first match another callback to that research being done that development from mayu okay this is what he did last time if you do this again this is what i'm gonna do i just i really really enjoyed that um you know, each their own. That's the beauty of wrestling. It's subjective. No, I think at this point, we're just going, no, my perfect match is better. No, my perfect match is better. Do you know what, though? I'm not going to descend into an argument because they're both no. fucking outstanding matches. And to have no, we're not... two of these matches, the Suri match, the Jungle match, which I think everyone has forgotten, those are four fucking outstanding matches from Mayo, and three of them were great title defences. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the woman just keeps pumping out match of the year after That's match a... of the year after match of the year. You forgot the Momo match from Night Funniverse. Momo, exactly! The Momo match! <laughs> which yeah, she has... was that long ago now that, again, people seem to forget it. As proved. She, she has probably, in, for for me, like, personally, and that's, it's probably mostly because Stardom's my main modern wrestling right now she's of the big ace figures in japan she probably has my favorite track record like because mia harris starting to get on my tits i was insulting him (laughs) (laughs) um okada got on my tits ages ago um go's been he's i've been keep getting told about how like goji ozaki's been having a great run but i think he's mostly having a great run for people who are like neck deep in noah law like his saito match and where that would just seem like two old men hitting each other of a Vegeta match, which is like this weird art piece, which you're either going to be in love with or think, why the fuck are they staring at me for half an hour? And why the fuck when Rob knew I was watching this for half an hour, he just went right as we we're about to lock up. Yeah, mate, we just stare at each other for half an hour. Yeah. Um. So aside from the fact that Iroha's got facial fractures, Mayu's got just... How she can walk after taking that fucking running three is unreal. Um, so they agree to team up next time, which I'm not going to lie, if that is some manner of assemble show match, I am all for that. I know that Starlight Kid, I haven't got the actual match to hand, but Stardom are on 
the next Assemble card with Starlight and Azumi's in it. I can't remember who else off the top of my head is in that match, but it's Stars versus Queen's Quest. Um, and then the two Yutami comes in, uh, demands her shot for November the 15th at Sendai Sun Plaza at Sendai Cinderella. Uh, she says the value of the belt has been raised in this match and she's calling her shot for Sendai Cinderella. Um Mayu asks if that's actually the rule, um, which, yes, Mayu, it is. That's that's how it works. If you win the five-star, you get a title shot. It's always been the case. Um, and, yeah, we, we fade to black. So, I've got a couple of things to ask you, Chris. Um, I've seen from... Again, I'm just... I can't acknowledge you because I don't know who it was. Um, on Twitter, there's been quite a few people who have been saying about how Corricans are becoming less and less and less important in the wake of the bigger shows. You know, Yokohama Cinderella, you've got the Sendai Cinderella show on the 15th of November, you've got the uh, Osaka show on the 20th of December, and you've got, I think you've got another one in early December as well, I think on the 6th. So, do you think that Corricans are slowly but surely not falling out of favour, but do you think they are being, there are less, they are less important than they once were? Do you think that they are becoming, as people seem to think, B and C shows as opposed to the main shows that everyone waits for? I mean, does this show fall into that category? How would you rate this show? My thinking is, part of it is, just because Corican just isn't the biggest building we can run right now, because you know, socially distanced audiences, that should be definitely be the case. But like, yeah, they're sort of more. We seem to have replaced Kiba, but also they're still throwing title matches on there. And I think when you look at like the actual cards of like each Corican show, most of them, with the exception of the last one going into Yokohama have been sort of as stacked as some of them haven't delivered as much because in like what you have to remember post lockdown, we have been most of this time has been spent just rebuilding the roster because we've had some heavy hits over the lockdown. So I think part of it is literally just they're rebuilding the roster. And because you look at like this show, it's about as stacked as for one last year, the tag league match um, one last year was, and I think this is a better show than the tag league Corican last year, just because this of this type of match so i don't think we're i don't think we're as bad as people say i just think we've just not been as good as we were at the beginning of the year because we were operating on such another level at the start of the year and like we've had to rebuild the roster i think that's literally just it okay let me put let me... <laughs> the next corican show is october 29th which as we record is in four days time so i think it's the thursday yeah it's the thursday so let me read to you the lineup for that Corican show. And l you can tell me then if you think the same. So we open with a five way battle between uh, Goku and Death, Saki Kashima, Rina, Hina, and Ruwaka returning to in ring competition, which should be nice. Um, tag League match then Wingori, which is Saeeda and Hanan, taking on Dream H, Tam Nakano and Mina Shirakawa. We've then got a six person tag. Uh, Utami and Momo and Riho 
taking on Oida Tai, B Priestley, Konami, and Natsuka Tori. We've then got the future of Stardom Championship match between the champion Micah and the challenger Saya Kamatani. Uh, semi-main, you've got a tag team match, Suri and Natsupoi taking on Mayu and Starlight Kid. And then finally, the main event is the Wonder of Stardom title match between champion Julia and the challenger Himika. I guess what I'm asking, Chris, is, is this a sexy card? Is there anything that jumps out at you? Or can you see why people are basically saying less emphasis has been put on Corican shows? No, I can definitely see where people are coming from in that, that respect, because they kind of are, because Corican shows were like where you can draw in thousands of people, but you can't anymore. So they sort because they have another big show coming, don't they? Exactly. The 15th of November is the next one. So they are running more bigger shows in bigger venues than they were this time last year. Yeah, because Corican was the big show last year. But again, to get as many as people as into um as you would at a Corican show into a building, you do need to go to these bigger arenas. Mm. So Absolutely. I think that's literally just it. Corican shows are still Corican shows. It's just now Corican shows are in different places. Yeah, and like we've said, you know, last year we didn't have the two um well, what were originally two, now one. The Yokama Cinderella shows, we didn't have the Sendai Cinderella show. We had didn't have the big Osaka show on the twentieth of December. So you know, those shows which are going to have big cards, they need big matches. And those big matches would have been on Corican shows last time. I don't think any less importance has been placed on Corican shows. I think it's a case of you want your bigger matches at the bigger drawing venues. And you're absolutely right, Chris. They used to be Corican's where you could draw 1,500 people. However, now you're looking at this Sendai Cinderella show, which is in the Sendai Sun Plaza which draws a little less than the Yokohama Cinderella show. So just under 3,000 people. That's a big get for stardom. Even with a socially mm. distanced crowd, you know, you're not going to get... You'll probably get just under 1,000. That's still a lot of yeah. people in the, in this time. Mm. So yes, I can sort of see where they're coming from because I'll be honest, of the matches that I've pardon me, read out... <sighs> There's probably the main event. I mean, Julie versus Himika. It could be great. Could be a dud. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not looking forward to that one just because I'm one of the few people who didn't really enjoy their five-star match. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy their five-star match, and we talked about it on the podcast. I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. Um, mm. But... If we get that match, plus the added stakes of a championship, plus, you know, we talked about how Himika has really progressed. Even in the five-star, if you look at the Himika that was taking on Utami in the final to the Himika that was taking on whoever she took on in the first round, you know, there was a big progression throughout that. We've talked about how Julia has progressed so much in the last couple of months. I mean, you've turned the corner and you fucking hated her to start off with. Yeah, no, I now it went from hating her to apathy, and now I actively enjoy it. Mostly because she's in the ring with death, and she's just there going, what the fuck is this? Exactly, she's, she's developed. Um, I, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if it's a... Do you know what? No, no, I think it's going to be a great match. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang my hat on it. 
I'm going to say that is going to be a very, very good match. I think Mayu and Starlight versus Suri and Natsupoi, I think that is going to be great. I think that's going to be a really, really tasty match. <sighs> Micah versus Saya. Um, sure, I think it it could be great. I'm not entirely sure though. Yeah. It has the potential, but like again, I'm not put I'm not putting too much on it because be our rookies. So. Yeah, and it is it is the future of Stardom Championship, which nobody really gives yeah. a shit about. I think I think that's the thing. Like, there's no tag title on this show. There's no no SWA. There's no SWA, which is bizarre, especially as B is in a throwaway tag match. I think that's the thing. You could have had a few more title matches on this Corican show. I mean, I know that Azumi can't be on this card because of school, um, which sort of takes the high-speed championship out of it. Um, but there are other championships that you could have on here. Utami's on this card. I know that Sai is challenging for the future stardom title, so the SWA would be perfect here. You know, have B versus a member of Donna Del Mondo. Why not Suri? See, see if you can invite the Marvelous Trio again. Oh my God, that'd be incredible! Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I can sort of see where where people are coming from. Anyway, um, a quick update then of the Goddess of Stardom uh, tag league standings, but it's more a case of what's the fucking point because the red <laughs> the red block. Currently, there are only two teams that have got any points whatsoever. So, currently, at the top are Crazy Bloom uh, with two points, uh, then Aphrodite with one point. However, they are the tag champs, and of their three matches, they've lost two of them. Um, and then uh, Devil Duo have lost all of their matches. They've got zero points. Wingori have got zero points, and MK Sisters have got zero points. Will point out at this point, Wingori and Devil Duo have only had one match each. Um, the blue block uh, is a little bit more rounded out. They've had a few more matches. Momo AZ are at the top with six points. Colomy Pop are second with four points. Black Widows are third with three points, though they've had less matches. And then Grab the Top and Dream H are at the bottom with two points. But again, Grab the Top have only had one match. Um, do you think, Chris... I meant to say this at the start. We Obviously, last week, we <laughs> we told everyone that we'd completely ballsed up our, uh, our predictions because we didn't realise that one team from the red block had to take on everyone from the blue block and vice versa. My only problem with that is, whatever the final is, we will have already seen... <laughs> yeah I mean that that occurred to me today I was like oh wouldn't it be good if uh, Momo AZ versus Aphrodite is the final hang on we'll have already seen that's what that's why I don't really understand why they've done it this way it seems like just a way to be different yeah difference not always good though is it let's be perfectly honest yeah no that's thing it just reminds, it, like, I once saw this picture, it was like a bunch of forks and then one that was broken in half. It's like, just because you were different doesn't mean you were useful. <laughs> um, this Sendai Cinderella show then, Chris, obviously we know that it's going to be main evented by Mayu versus Utami. Uh, my first question is, does Mayu drop the belt? If I, I put you to... on the spot now, does Mayu drop the belt here to Utami? 
I can't think of a better story, really, and Utami could be fun. <sighs> no, I don't think Utami's quite going to take the red belt yet. I'm inclined to agree. The only reason I agree is with Mayu on top, you have got a bona fide main eventer for these big shows. I don't think you've quite built... I mean, it sounds stupid to say you haven't quite built Utami. She's just won a fucking round-robin tournament. But I don't think she's quite the person to headline these enormous shows just yet. Mm. Um, The only thing with that is then, Chris, you look at who is left to challenge Mayu. I mean, I've seen... um, I can't remember who it was on the Discord. I'm so sorry. I will note your names down next episode. But someone mentioned Konami potentially taking, potentially being a challenger. I'd love to see that. She does have a, she does have a challenge in the back. She does. She, but do you see Konami taking the belt off Mayu? Hang on, who beat her in? Who's beaten her recently? So Death. Konami have. Okay, yeah, no, no, no. At um, end, end year climax, Death. <laughs> The story that I've seen bandied about is obviously originally the 10th anniversary show was supposed to be Arisa versus Mayu and that was all going to be built up around that and presumably Arisa was going to take the red belt which made all the sense in the world. With Arisa's untimely retirement that currently stands at Julia. Now, do you have Mayu hold the belt through November, through December, those three big shows we've still got and year-end climax to then go into the anniversary show and drop the belt to Julia. My thoughts with that is because if Mayu doesn't drop it to Yutami here, I think she defends it against Konami at one of the big shows. I mean, it'll be interesting to see who the other challenges are. Um, Then drops it to Julia, and I think Julia drops the white belt before the 10th anniversary show and I think she does drop that belt to Konami yeah that makes a lot of sense I can't think of a better way to do it but again like every time this comes up it's a case of stardom is so erratic with their booking sometimes that like you couldn't really tell like we sometimes just throw a belt on people for seemingly no reason my final sort of point about the Sendai Cinderella show. They aren't announcing the card until the 2nd of November, so we'll talk a little bit more about the card once um, on next week's podcast. Um, My question to you is, you've been given the book. What do you put on this Sendai Cinderella show? We need a white belt defense. I mean, I, sh- I should have asked before. I mean, I presume Julia is going to retain. Yeah, I presume that as well. Um, if, I, if I'm doing a white belt defense, are you going to shout at me if I say death? I'm not going to shout at you. Be- I mean, technically, <laughs> she does have a claim to it. Is that something <laughs> that you want on a big show? I was <laughs> On some awful level, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> awesome. But also, I'm just I'm trying to think who else has a white belt claim. Not many people. I mean, they seem to have been... I seem to remember there was some sort of thing between Momo and Julia. And Momo versus Julia is a very, very sexy looking matchup. So 
that would fit in perfect. If you've got Moma versus Julia and Mayu versus Utami as your two top matches, that is a very, very strong-looking card. You throw on, say, a high-speed defense. You throw on Natsupoi versus Azumi. You throw on B Priestley versus someone for the SWA Championship. And that becomes a very, very, very interesting card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely the potential there. We do not know because honestly, just think even on the lo- just thinking on the logical booking level, I can't think of who has a white belt um, shot other than Death. Well, Julia lost to Konami and Himika in the five star. So Konami's a possibility. Konami could challenge here. The only thing is, and this this is what was in the Discord. This is what was in the Discord. Um, someone brought up Konami when I brought up Momo. And I'm all for that. But in my opinion, if Konami challenges Julia with all of this momentum that you've supposedly built behind Konami with the turn, I think she's got to take the belt. And I think it's yeah, too early right. to take the belt off Julia. I think Julia holds it until either the Osaka show on the 20th of July, uh, 20th of December or the year-end climax show. I think she drops the white belt there, which gives her enough time to challenge Mayu because she has got that challenge in the bank, having beat her in the five-star. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's my thinking. I'm probably completely wrong, but that's what I'm thinking in regards to the way we go forward because I think Konami needs a singles championship now to really cement her as a higher sort of almost main event talent because coming out of the five-star, she was one of maybe four people who really, really had some momentum behind them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, last thing then, uh, we announced last week in a roundabout way, uh, because last week's recording was not great because of the lag, so we apologize for that, but we announced that we are going to be doing a stardom end of year awards, um, and we were trying to work out how we were going to do it with the year-end climax show. So the year-end climax show, the current holding date, as I mentioned last week, is the 26th of December. Now, that doesn't give us a lot of time before the end of the year to then get everyone to vote and to get everyone um, get everyone's tally together and stuff before the end of the year. So what we've decided to do is we are going to do from year-end climax to year-end climax because that's when the podcast started. The podcast started, our very first show as a duo was... Uh, the In Blackpool. In Blackpool was the year-end climax 2019. So what we're going to do is we're going to go from year-end climax 2019 and run to Osaka, so the 20th of December. What we'll do then is we'll release the ballot on the 21st of December. We'll then close it, tally everything up, and release the results on our final episode of the year. The categories then, Chris, um, I don't know why I said Chris at the end of that, um, are as follows. So this is... (laughs) Who else would you be talking to? I don't know. I don't know why I said that, to be perfectly honest. So this is... These are, sorry, the categories. So we've got Stardom Wrestler of the Year, and all of the options are 
all of the wrestlers from stardom uh we haven't included um mina we haven't included natsupoi basically anyone that debuted at the yokama cinderella show we haven't included um we've got stardom match of the year and that's more the reason we're not releasing it yet because we've still got so many big shows to come uh stardom show of the year stardom most improved wrestler stardom feud of the year and then stardom moment of the year and then for each of these categories there are a multiple choice of options what we'll do is to our discord we'll show those categories and ask if there are any suggestions to add to them for example a match of the year that we might have missed or a moment of the year that sort of resonated with someone and we've forgotten about um and then we'll release them so thank you to everyone that said yeah do that it's a great idea on twitter and yeah hopefully we'll get a really interesting way to round off stardom's 2020 with that chris um let's sign off um we'll be back next sunday uh with the goddess of stardom night five and hopefully night six um night six again is the one at corican that we've been talking about um if it is uploaded then we will talk about it on sunday if it is not fully uploaded by sunday we'll record on tuesday and release it on tuesday night because I'd rather do the entire Corican show than half arse it on Sunday and miss out some of the matches. So we'll do it that way. But again, depending on its release, we'll tell everyone via Twitter and Discord on Sunday. But for the moment, the recording is taking place on Sunday for those two shows. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and leave us any sort of feedback. It really does help the podcast out. You can talk to us on Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at The Stardomcast. Uh, join the Facebook group Podmania Podcast. Check out the website www.podmania.co.uk where you can check out all of The Stardomcast's archived episodes and all of our match ratings. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at @realrobgoodwin. Chris, where can they find you? At Liam Gallagher. Sure, why not? Um, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.